Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, for this time for us to, uh, to, to look at this material together, and we pray that you would help us um, to appreciate your church. Lord, help us to uh, remember what a glory and what a blessing it is that uh, we have been called out of darkness into light, uh, that Christ has uh, rescued us uh, from death, from uh, our sin. And thank you that uh, he has uh, not done that uh, alone, Lord, but he has, uh, he's, he's not done that for just us as individuals. He's done that and brought us into the community of faith. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we are the church and we are gathered together as those who have been saved uh, by Christ and by him alone. Lord, thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus, and we pray that uh, we would glorify him this morning uh, as we study together. Uh, Lord, bless us and keep us, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, the last two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, you looked at what our church believes, and then last week, y'all looked at what our church is. This morning, we're looking at how Christians live, uh, how we grow as Christians, and the, the answer that we're going to talk about is the means of grace, so that God has appointed means for us by which we grow in our faith. And I think the reason that this is such an important thing for us to talk about is if, if somebody asked you that question, how do you grow as a Christian? I can imagine people giving a lot of different answers. And sometimes when people get creative about something like this, a whole bunch of problems ensue. And so the question we're dealing with this morning is, how do Christians live? How do we meet with God? If, if somebody says, I want to get closer to God, how, how do you instruct them? How do you help them out? How do we get closer with the Lord? How does God bless Christians? How do we grow in maturity? Well, the answer is we, we do that on his terms. We do that in the way that he told us to. And, and the answer for that is, is the means of grace. And I, I want us to think, though, for a minute, if, if you ask somebody, you know, how do you grow as a Christian, um, they might answer that in a whole bunch of different ways. And some of those would not be very helpful. And so maybe you've heard somebody say something like this, that they feel close to God when they're out in nature. Or they'll, they'll be out. Uh, my, my, my wife and I were, um, uh, went uh, whitewater rafting one time morning. Went whitewater rafting one time, and uh, I, I was talking to the guy. I told him that uh, I was, at the time, I was studying to become a minister, and uh, we were out, you know, in the beauty of nature, and he said, this, this is my church. And, and he meant by that, of course, now there's something, you know, God reveals his glory in creation, certainly, but what he meant by that was, I don't need church. I don't need a, a pastor. I don't need people like you. I need, uh, I, this is all I need. I need nature, and that this is my church. This is the place where I get close to God. And what he was indicating was that he's, he's really not connected with the Word. He really doesn't understand what the Word says about our need to be in fellowship with other believers. Uh, you, you, might, you might hear some people say something like, well, the way that they get close to the Lord is uh, they meditate, they uh, do other kinds of practices, but that aren't really close to, that, that aren't really based on the word. You know, it's interesting when the Psalms talk about uh, our meditating, people will talk about meditating and, and even praying in our culture. But a lot of times when people talk about meditating, there's kind of this Eastern religious influence into it. And if, 
if people are thinking about meditating in that way, that's about emptying your mind. Um, you're, you're supposed to be disconnected from your body and the things around you, and you're supposed to completely clear your mind. Well, when, we, when Christians talk about meditating, we're meditating on something. We're meditating on the Word of God. We're not trying to empty our minds. We're trying to fill our minds with God's truth. And so, we, again, it's, we're word-focused. And so some people will say, I'm communing with God. I'm trying to meet with God by quietly sitting, just sitting in silence until maybe I'll hear a still, small voice. Maybe I'll hear God say something to me. And, and they may not be looking for God to say something audibly to them, but they're, they're thinking that they'll, something will pop into their mind or they'll have this feeling, this kind of sense that maybe God is speaking to them. Well, again, that's, that's not how the word directs us. God has left the scriptures for us so that this is the way God speaks to us. We hear from God by reading his word. I've heard somebody say, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible out loud. This is how we hear from the Lord is from the scriptures. Um, but still, it's, uh, you know, how do we read the word? Some people will say, well, I open my Bible, I pick a random verse. And then that's going to be the one that applies to me today. Well, you can get yourself in some trouble uh, just by doing that, by pulling verses completely out of context. Uh, who knows what exactly you're going to get to? And so we want to be people who are focused on the word of God, reading it, uh, reading it through, reading it with a plan. And that's some of what we'll talk about this morning. So what are the ordinary means of grace? What are the ways by which God ordinarily grows his people? Well, it's the word prayer, and sacraments. And, uh, and, and where you see this in the Bible, you actually see this all in one place in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Uh, this is right after uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost uh, when thousands are converted. And it says in verse 41, this is written on your handout, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you see first, they received the word and then they were baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, and, and so very simply there, we have all of these, we have all of these means. We've got the, the word of God that they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, remember that the, what we have in the scriptures, generally you can talk about this as the word of the prophets in the Old Testament with the word of the apostles in the New Testament. You have the prayers, and then you have the sacraments, which uh, we believe the sacraments, uh, and we'll talk about those in just a minute, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, a simple way of saying this is, look, you don't get points for creativity. The way that we grow as Christians is we do what Jesus said. Um, and so let's talk about these three things, the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Good morning. Um, and... Uh, I know you guys have, have referenced already the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and the shorter catechism. And if you haven't spent any time reading those, I want us to look at these together this morning in addition to the passages of Scripture that we're going to read, just so you can see how helpful uh, and how clear the, the shorter catechism is in answering some of these questions. I hope you'll see how helpful uh, this is. Remember, uh, and Pastor David has talked about this with, uh, with this group, that you know, why do we have a confession of faith? Why do we use something like the catechism? Isn't the Bible enough for us? Well, yet yeah, the Bible is, 
And the reason that the catechisms and the confession are so helpful to us is that they're a really good, really clear summary of what the Bible says. And so I hope you'll see that uh, this morning. Uh, I, I gave you a handout that is uh, the shorter catechism. It's a portion of the shorter catechism. And uh, you see at the, at the top is the, the catechism questions and answers. And then at the bottom there are the scripture proofs that they use. Uh, and so as we talk about the word, you'll, you'll see that question 89 is on that first page uh, of, of your stapled handout. And it asks this question, how is the word made effectual to salvation? So how is the word effective for our salvation? And now the, the catechism is here using the word salvation, not just to mean our justification, the time where Jesus takes us once and for all from darkness to light. Uh, it's using salvation to mean not just our justification when we became Christians, it's also using salvation uh, as a way of talking about our sanctification, the, the path that the Lord is going to bring us on until he brings us all the way home. Because uh, remember, salvation, uh, as one of my friends has said, salvation is a package deal. Uh, Derek Thomas says the gospel brings us all the way home, that when we are saved, if we are truly in Christ, then uh, he will bring us, uh, he, he will sanctify us throughout our lives, and then finally he will bring us to heaven. We are secure if we've trusted in Christ. And so what this question is asking is, okay, how does the word, uh, how is it made effectual to our salvation? Um, how does it uh, help us to, how does the Lord use it to make us Christians and then to grow us as Christians? And, and so in question 89, the answer says, the spirit of God makes the reading, I'm going to drop some of the King James-isms as I go through this, but the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And so you can see what it's saying there. Okay, how does the, how does the Lord use the Word as we read it. What's happening to you when you're reading the Word? Well, the Spirit of God is at work on us, and that's something that we pray for. So if somebody says, well, I've been reading the Bible for a long time and nothing's happened. Well, it's, it's not enough to open it, look at the words, and kind of casually look around and let your mind wander while you do. And it's still, it's a lot worse if you say, well, if somebody says, well, I have a bunch of Bibles at my house, they stay closed on the bookshelves, or, I, you know, something silly like I'm sleeping with a Bible on my chest, maybe it makes me feel good, but it's not doing anything for you. What is it? How does the Lord use the word? Well, as we read, we approach in faith. We pray and ask the Lord, help me understand uh, what you say in your word. Help me apply what you say in your word. And the Holy Spirit, we call this illumination. It's different than inspiration. Inspiration is what the Lord was doing through the prophets and through the apostles when they actually wrote down the autographs, the original, uh, the original uh, uh, pen to paper, as it were, uh, of the scriptures. But as we read, uh, what we're praying is for the Holy Spirit to illumine our understanding. We're praying that the Holy Spirit would shine his light on his word so we see it even more clearly so that we're able to understand it and apply it to our lives. And when we're praying for that, we're not praying that, you know, God would deliver to Courtney something different than he's delivering to Mark. 
something completely different, something that you wouldn't have got just by reading the, the, what the scriptures plainly say. No, we're, the, the scriptures have a plain meaning that we want to understand, but, but we're able to apply it. Sometimes we're able to apply it in different ways to our own situation. Uh, the Lord convicts us of sin. The Lord uh, helps us with the, uh, the given situation that we're in uh, to see how his word helps us uh, in, that, in that instance. And so the spirit of God makes the reading of the word effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. But as you notice, it says, makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. The, the, the Westminster theologians are really interested in this, that the, that the Lord especially uses the preaching of his word uh, to grab our hearts, uh, to, to, to be at work in us, to change us. And look at the way it says that as, as we hear the word read, as we hear it preached, that it's an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. It's such a wonderful line that the, it, it, it describes what Hebrews uh, 4 talks about, that the, the, the word is like a sword that cuts in to our hearts, uh, that, that pierces us uh, so that we recognize that we are sinners and so that we're converted to salvation. The Lord uses the word to do this. That's why one of the scripture proofs uh, down below, uh, you'll, you'll see there, uh, if, if you look down, there's the small letter S. Uh, it gives you Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. It says, so they read the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. In Nehemiah's day, there were, uh, there were those who were out preaching among the people, helping them understand what the word was saying while it was being read. If you look down a little bit further, it quotes Romans chapter 10, uh, maybe a very familiar verse to you. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Uh, this, is, this is asking the question, and uh, it's talking about the, the, the reason that we have missionaries. Uh, as, as we have a heart for people who are lost, um, how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? We want to send out people who are going to tell others about the word. But then look what it says in Romans 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Uh, what is the content that a missionary is bringing to other people? What is uh, what, what are you saying when you evangelize someone who doesn't know the Lord? You're, you're, you're giving them the word. Ideally, that's what you're doing. Uh, we're not trying to be clever. We're not trying to be creative. Um, we're, we're trying to deliver the word to people who don't know the Lord. Uh, and, and the Lord says that he will use his word and his Holy Spirit to convince them and convert them. But the word is not just good for saving someone uh, initially, uh, making, making them a Christian in the first place, the word is good for continuing throughout our lives to, it says in the catechism question, uh, 89, to build them up in holiness and comfort. And, and I love the use of those two words. Uh, aren't, aren't those two things that we want? That we want to grow in holiness. We also want to grow in our comfort. And not just an emotional, peaceful feeling. A comfort here also has the sense of strength, uh, a readiness to face the difficulties of life. Uh, the Lord builds us up in both of these things, uh, in holiness and in comfort. Uh, 
teaching us what it means to walk in step with his commands. Now, not that uh, we, we understand, I think, that sanctification um, is, is not that God is going to make us absolutely perfect uh, in this life. Throughout our lives, we're going to struggle with sin. And so part of us walking in holiness, part of us walking as mature Christians, is that we are repentant people. That when we sin, uh, we confess. Um, we confess to the Lord. We confess to people that we've sinned against, that we have done that. And we ask their forgiveness. And when we confess to the Lord, we have his forgiveness. And we rejoice in that. Um, the, the Lord, uh, and, and, and that's part of our maturity, is recognizing our sin. And, and how do we do that? Well, we look in the mirror of God's word. James gives that really striking uh, illustration in his book that someone who uh, reads the word but doesn't do what it says, uh, and this is uh, quoted for you uh, as well in the Shorter Catechism, Scripture Proofs down there, but the one who reads the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looked at themselves in the mirror and noticed there was something wrong, something that they should change, something that they should address, and then walked on as if there wasn't a big smudge on their face, as if there wasn't something that they needed to do something about. Uh, we're like that. If we come to the word, we, we're convicted. We realize that there's some sin. Uh, there's a, a way in which we've sinned against our spouse, our children, uh, somebody at work that we need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, there's a, uh, and, and, and we go on as if we had not. Uh, well, the Lord uses the, his word in this way in our lives. Um, and, uh, and, and just really briefly, I want to point out uh, question 90 uh, to you. It says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? And this is some instruction for us. Um, sometimes we think reading and hearing that those aren't active things that we do, that we're passive as we read and hear, but we're not. It's a very active thing that we do to listen and hear. And you notice this when you're sitting uh, in a worship service, there's a lot of temptation to be distracted by other things, the things that you've got to take care of uh, later in the day or the week. Uh, but how do we give our attention to God's word? Well, the answer from the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that the word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence, with preparation and prayer. We must receive it with faith and love lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. That's a, there's a lot to that answer. I think it's, I think it's a really helpful one. And, and, and you can, you notice how helpful it is by if you drop one of those, what kind of trouble you would be in. Uh, we, we need to listen to the word with diligence. Um, not, not just paying attention to some parts of the word, and then forgetting others. Uh, maybe you've known folks like this and noticed this in some people's lives where they seem to be really passionate about some parts of the word, but are ignorant of others. Isn't this Jesus, one of Jesus's condemnations of the Pharisees, that they neglect the weightier matters of the law. The Pharisees were so nitpicky about some of the, some of the dietary laws in the Old Testament, uh, some of the things regarding the sacrifices, and uh, he, he says that you tithe uh, uh, dill, mint, and cumin, um, but then you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like loving your brother and sister. So there are some things that they made a big deal about, uh, often the things that made them look holy to other people, but then they were 
uh, mean and sufferable toward other people. So they were not paying attention to the word with diligence. Um, we, we, we prepare ourselves to hear the word uh, and, and, and we pray, we ask the Lord uh, to illumine our understanding, to help us uh, to, to receive from the word what, uh, what he wants us to have. And then we receive, uh, I love this, uh, I love these words, that we receive his word with faith and love. We, uh, we, we believe that this is his word and that he has something for us here and we receive it with love. What a gift God has given to us in his word. Uh, it ought to be something that makes us rejoice that he's so kindly spoken to us uh, and, and, and made his word accessible to us. And so we want to lay it up in our hearts. Uh, we want to store uh, his word in our hearts like it's a bank account that we're going to draw from throughout our lives, to put his word into practice, um, to reach uh, for his word uh, in, in times that we need comfort, that we need encouragement. Um, God has given us his word for this, and we want to practice it. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, as James talks about. We want to be doers of the word. Uh, so the word is a means of grace by which God uh, grows our faith, help us, helps us to meet with him. It's by, uh, it's by his word that we meet with him. Well, now we come to the sacraments, the second means of grace. And the sacraments are, a way that you can talk about this, uh, the sacraments are an illustration of God's word. They are pictures that Jesus has given us so that we can see what he has done for us in a sense. Jesus drew us pictures and it's actually even better than that because the sacraments are not just things that we see. I mean, they're things that we can experience with all our senses. Uh, we, you, you see someone being baptized. As you're baptized, you feel the, the water on you. Um, you uh, if you're baptized uh, not as an infant. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper, you, you see it, you smell it, you hear it, uh, you feel it in your hands. Um, and actually, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, uses this in, uh, in, in one of its questions and answers, that as surely as you take the bread or the cup from the hand of the minister, so surely has Christ died for you. It's meant to, it's, it's meant to be these signs, these reinforcements for us of what the Lord has done for us. Um, it's interesting if you, if you ask somebody, what picture, what image would you associate with Christianity? What do you think of? And, and I think really quickly people would think of a cross. Biblically, the images that Jesus really wanted to leave with us and really wanted to impress on us are water, bread, and wine. Those are the images that communicate to us beautifully what he's done for us. The water of baptism, the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Um, Dale Ralph Davis, I put this quote in your handout. He says, sacraments are given not to make God's promises more sure, because how could they be more sure than they are? God's promises are absolutely sure. Sacraments are not given to make God's promises more sure, but to make us more sure of God's promises. They are visual aids. And don't you need a visual aid sometimes? People say, I'm a visual person. It really helps if I can see it or if I can do it. Everybody's a visual person. We're all helped by seeing something, by feeling something. And Jesus knows that. And so interestingly, he didn't leave us a picture of himself. He didn't leave us a drawing of himself to cling to somewhere. Um, he left us these pictures. 
He left us baptism. Uh, he left us the Lord's Supper in, in, uh, so that we could be helped, so that our faith could be strengthened in this way. I'll read really briefly from these uh, uh, shorter catechism questions. And if you want to see the, the scripture proofs written out here, um, I, I gave it to you there on the handout. But what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost do signify and seal our ingrafting into Christ, so we're made one with Christ, and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord. Uh, you are baptized into something. You are baptized into uh, the church. Uh, the, the water, as it's, uh, as it's sprinkled or as it's poured, is reminding us of all these important symbols throughout the scriptures, uh, that, that blood uh, was, was sprinkled, um, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, on, on us for salvation. And now, it's not saying that baptism saves you, uh, that the Holy Spirit is in that moment poured out on you as soon as you're baptized, but rather it's a symbol that the Lord has given us to remind us how he saves. He saves by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our, uh, into our hearts. And then question 95 says, to whom is baptism to be administered? It says, baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church. So you don't just baptize everybody. You baptize people who are part of the church. And, and you baptize them when they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. So it is a, the baptism is a sign of being set apart as a Christian. But as Reformed folks, we've, we've got to put this part in here because it's very important. But to the infants of such as are members of the visible church, they are to be baptized. And so, uh, and, and so the uh, adults are to be baptized who profess faith in the Lord. Uh, even young people who, are, who are profess faith are to be baptized. Then so are their children. And so if, uh, for instance, if an, if an adult becomes a Christian and they have uh, uh, got to witness this recently, actually an adult uh, and, and his wife and, uh, and, and there are many children uh, who became Christians. Uh, the, when, when the husband was baptized, everybody else was, the, the husband and the wife were baptized and the children were baptized uh, as well because something new has started in this family. Uh, this family is a Christian family, and, and hopefully uh, the children will grow up, profess faith in Christ, and when they have children, their children will be baptized into the church as well. Baptism is not a guarantee. Baptiz baptizing children is not a guarantee that they will grow up and profess faith in Christ, um, but it's, it's an expression of, one, our hope that the Lord is going to do this in this child's life, but it's also an expression that these children are going to be raised in the church, that these children are going to be taught to be Christians, what it means. And not just the forms, not, not just the outward, uh, the, the, the morals that we're supposed to live out, but uh, we're, we're, we're teaching children that uh, we're to love the Lord from our heart. We're teaching them to pray. You, you don't sit around the dinner table with small children and say, now we're going to pray I, the mom and dad are going to pray our father, but kids, you have to wait. You can't really call him your father yet. No, you call him our father now because you're learning what it means to be Christians. 
But then somebody might say, well, is there no difference? A child that's been baptized, is, uh, is it exactly the same? Well, there is a difference, and this is expressed in the sacraments too, that young children don't take the Lord's Supper. There is a difference here because Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we must examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. And that gets us to the next sacrament, which is the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and here's questions and answers uh, about this. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, this is what happens. His death is showed forth. Remember, his, his body was crucified as he showed the breaking of the bread. His blood was poured out as he showed the pouring of the wine. His death is showed forth, and the worthy receivers are, now not after a corporal or carnal manner, but by faith, are made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So the Lord, it's not that there's something magical about the bread and the wine. It's not that these things are, uh, are being transformed so that there's something that these things do in you. Um, it's, uh, and, and it's not that if you took the Lord's Supper it would do something to you. It would be a benefit to you, whether you were thinking about it or not. No, what does it say? Just like with the word, faith is very important as we approach. As we approach the Lord's Supper by faith, we are reminded that we are made partakers of his body and blood and all the benefits that go with that. The Lord's Supper is meant to, the, the end of the catechism question says this, spiritually nourish us and to help us grow in grace. Uh, just as we're fed by actual bread and just why we're nourished by actual drink. Uh, so the Lord spiritually nourishes us uh, in these things. But, but, we, but we approach by faith. The Holy Spirit does this work in our hearts as we, as we come to the Lord's Supper. And, and it's saying here, the, the worthy receivers uh, are, are to approach the Lord's Supper. There is a way to approach the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Uh, we're not to approach the Lord's Supper if we're ignorant. And I don't mean that word offensively at all. Just if you don't know what it is, you're not supposed to go to it um, because the, the Lord has cautioned us uh, lest we eat and drink judgment to ourselves that we shouldn't go to the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't go to the Lord's Supper uh, if we are hiding if, if we are hiding secret sin in our hearts, if there's a sin that we are continually committing that we're unwilling to repent of. Now, language is important because it's not that it, it's, it's not saying that you've got to be perfect to come to the Lord's Supper. The, the Lord's Supper is, is a wonderful time of repentance. We should repent with the Lord's Supper in view. Um, if, if, uh, if, it, if in your home you've had uh, some difficulty well, as you're coming to approach the Lord's Supper, you should be reconciled with each other. Uh, come to each other in, uh, in repentance and seeking forgiveness because the Lord's Supper is coming up. But if, if someone is harboring sin um, and refusing to repent, they're really not submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why would they take the outward symbols of being in fellowship and being in union with Christ uh, when their hearts are far from him? And so 
one of the reasons that Pastor David will, will talk about this before we give the Lord's Supper, and you might hear him say it uh, as he does, where he'll caution people that, that there are some who shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. That's a moment, that's an opportunity for repentance for someone who's stuck in their sin in that way. Do you see that? That there's the opportunity that someone would hear and be convicted as they see the, the bread and the wine pass by them. As it should, if they're in that place, they, they should go, I'm, I'm not at peace with the Lord, and I want to be. That the, 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 the table would be used as something to draw us to the Lord um, uh, in repentance and faith. And so in, in, uh, in question 97 that's printed there for you, what is required of the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? It's required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Um, and you can see that's, that's very much drawn from the, the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 I was referencing there. So the means of grace, we hear from the, the Lord in his word. We see what the Lord has done for us illustrated in the sacraments. And then we talk back. We approach the Lord in prayer. And I think the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism has such a great description of prayer. And it's in, uh, it's in question 98. It says, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying that? We, we bring our desires, we bring the depths of our hearts before the Lord. And say, Lord, would you hear me? And we're praying for the things that are agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Um, such beautiful description there, I think. And um, several of the scripture proofs that are, that are given for us there. Um, Psalm 10, 17. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. Psalm 62 says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Uh, ask, uh, Matthew 7 says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives and he that seeks finds. To him that knocks it shall be opened. Um, for that part about the things we ask for things being agreeable to his will, 1 John 5 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, and so it's important for our prayers to be biblically informed. Now, the Lord tells us we, we, uh, we have not because we ask not. But then uh, in, in James, it also says that we, uh, we, we, uh, we, we do not have when we ask because we ask wrongly because we want to spend it on our passions. Uh, again, all of these things are, are connected. We, we read the word and we learn how to pray. We're, we're supposed to, Hebrews tells us, approach the throne of God with what? With boldness. So we boldly go before the Lord in prayer, um, bearing our hearts to him and asking him to do even miraculous things in our lives. So we approach the Lord with boldness, with freedom, but we don't approach the Lord with presumption. 
you know, the difference there. We don't approach God as if he's a vending machine in the sky, as if he's a butler that's going to go get us what we want. That isn't the way that we approach the Lord. There's, there's a difference in approaching him with boldness and freedom and joy, offering up our desires versus demanding from God that he answer us exactly when and, uh, and, and in the way that we want him to. And so we, we pray to the Lord and, and, he, uh, and, and he communes with us as we pray to him. And this is such a glorious thing. And, as we, and this is why we, we pair the reading of the word and the praying uh, together because we want to be instructed in how we pray, uh, how we approach the Lord. And so this leads us to the final thing that uh, I, I want to talk about. You'll, you'll notice that um, if you look back at Acts chapter 2, we said that there were those who received his word, they were baptized, they were added to, they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, what was the, what's the context? What's the setting for all of this? It didn't say they all became Christians and so they all went back home and had their private devotions for the rest of their lives. Well, they gathered together regularly. And private devotions, family worship are really important. But the, the, the peak of uh, the high point of our spiritual lives throughout the week is meant to be on the first day of the week when we come to the Lord with the people of the Lord and worship him uh, in, in the church. And, and, and uh, Pastor David has, has uh, reiterated that the church, when we talk about it, it's not a building, it's not a place, it's ultimately a people. And so we can worship the Lord wherever, but gathering together is such an important thing. Um, and when we come together, we worship the Lord according to his word. We're not meant to be distracted, we're meant to trust his means. And so hope as we've talked about this, the means of grace, you can think about our worship service and the kinds of things that we focus on as Grace Presbyterian Church and see why the things that we emphasize are the things that are emphasized. Um, the, the preaching, the teaching of the word, meeting together for prayer, the sacraments. Um, you, can, you can really talk about our worship service in, in just those ways. The worship services are just a place where we partake in the means of grace. The, the singing uh, that's the, the singing and the confessions that we make together, those are prayers that we offer to the Lord. Um, and so it's so easy to get distracted as a church. And maybe you've been parts of churches before that if you, if you begin to think about the church in the way that we're describing here, that you notice, man, they're really getting distracted by a bunch of other things. And we don't say this to demean um, those other churches, but people have talked about for a while that there's a model of, uh, of churches that are popular today that people will call seeker-sensitive churches. And the, the idea is how can we get as many people as possible into this church? And there's often some good motivation to that. They want to evangelize. They want people to be saved. But the problem is often as I've heard somebody say, what you get them with is what you keep them with. That a church sometimes, if, if, we're, if we're really making it all about somebody's comfort, somebody's immediate felt need, or somebody's entertainment, then if they're going to stay in the church, they want to stay entertained. They want those same felt needs met. And so people end up 
uh, as the church start, they, they end up starting to have to kind of do gymnastics in order to keep people interested, keep people pleased, and keep people coming to the church. What we want to say is that what God has given his church is actually fundamentally really simple. The word, the prayer, the sacraments, those are pretty simple things. People all over the world can do them. You don't have to have a big building and a big budget to do these things. As long as you've got the word of God and the people of God, you can worship together. Um, if you've got some bread and wine, you can have communion. This is, uh, this is a fairly simple thing, but it is a profound thing. It's one of the reasons that uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, uh, that the wisdom of God is, is foolishness to the world, and God uses the foolish things in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. These are simple things. Sometimes people might say, what are you doing, Christians? You're getting together, you're reading from a really old book. Isn't that thing outdated? You're listening to one person. We have screens everywhere. Why aren't you watching something with special effects? Why aren't you watching a movie about Jesus or something like that instead of hearing the word read and preached? Why are you praying? Why are you doing the, the, the Lord's Supper and baptism? And these things? Well, because these are what Jesus gave us, and we don't want to get distracted. We want to obey him. We want to listen to him. We want to be fed by him. Um, C.S. Lewis has this uh, really interesting analogy that he says that sometimes the, the, the way that we operate as Christians is a lot like a child who's making mud pies for himself uh, and, and is content doing that because he has no idea what it's like to have a feast uh, somewhere else. And he says we're, we're content with these little, uh, and C.S. Lewis says it way better than that, but he, but he says we're sometimes con content just kind of playing around when a feast is spread for us, and we say, I don't want to go to the feast. I'm, I'm happy with this. And it's like, well, you don't know what it's like. Uh, the, the Lord has given us such glorious things in his word. He's given us such rich food. And, and, and sometimes we can, be, uh, we, we can be in this place where we're feeding ourselves cotton candy. We're eating something, but it's not the things that are substantial and the things that, are really, that the Lord has really given us to change our lives. Um, it's vital for us to be together. Dale Ralph Davis has a great quote um, that I put for you on your handout. He says, fellowship is vital. And he gives this great analogy. If a coal burns by itself, it will go out. But if it's heaped together with other burning coals, it will go on burning. And sometimes maybe you come to church and you feel like, man, if I'm a coal, I don't have a lot left. There's not a lot, there's not a lot uh, left to, to this burn. Um, I'm feeling cold. I'm feeling worn out. I'm feeling a little dusty after the week that I've had or the month that I've had or the year that I've had. And in those times when people are feeling cold, they want to shut off more. Don't you recognize this temptation? This is, this is something when we're really feeling like we're struggling, when we're really feeling uh, perhaps hurt, when we feel like we, um, we're, we're not as close to the Lord as we'd like to be, when we feel like we're struggling with some sin, but we, quite, we don't quite know what to do with it, we, we are tempted to withdraw. We're tempted to get back into our turtle shells. But what do we need to do? We need to go, to get back to the coal analogy, we need to go get around other coals. We need to go be among the body of Christ. And perhaps it's not that we vent every emotion that we have and every struggle to every person here, but we will find friendships. We will find people who, uh, who we respect 
who will grow closer to that we can share what's going on with and we can find encouragement from each other. His quote continues, growth comes from God. He quotes 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He references it. But God has means of grace through which he usually brings growth, established channels by which his strength comes to us. And so um, uh, God, God has uh, given us these means to use. I've heard someone uh, say that if, if you don't believe in the devil, try to pray for a week and see how easy that is. And, uh, and, and his point in saying that was that there's, there's a sense that I have that's, that, that, I'm, that I'm being interrupted when I try to pray, that it's difficult for me to do these simple things like picking up the Bible every day and just reading for a few moments. Just praying, even if it's for uh, just a few minutes. As soon as, I, as, as soon as I try to do that, it feels like there's opposition to that sort of thing. The, 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 the devil doesn't want you to pray. The devil doesn't want you in the word of God. The, the devil wants you to think that these are simple things that aren't going to do that much for you. But again, it's, it's like eating um, and, and filling yourself. It's like exercise. Uh, you may not see the results immediately. But if you're consistent, even in small, uh, relatively simple activity regularly, it will have great effects on you. And so I'll just give you this uh, here as we, as we come to a close um, uh, to remember, uh, if, as, as you're reading and praying, uh, do, uh, I, I, think, I think it's been implied, and, and Pastor David's talked about this the last two weeks, we're to come to uh, worship on the Lord's Day, especially if you can, morning and evening, uh, set the whole day apart as a day of worship, uh, as a feast day for your soul. But also as the week continues, have times of private um, worship and family worship. And, and to do this, you'll have to make time, you'll have to make a plan because there is opposition. And Dale Ralph Davis has a great quote about, uh, he would rather see Christians who have small meals consistently than starving yourself for many days and then gorging yourself. And um, that's, that's true for our health, but it's also true for reading the word. If you think, man, I'm, I really need to be in the place where I'm reading chapters of the Bible every day for an hour a day, um, you know, reading the word and praying. And, and if you're able to do that, it's wonderful. Um, but likely it may be more like five minutes. You're, you're reading a chapter or maybe even a paragraph of the gospels and, and then praying um, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, doing that kind of thing in a set way will will get you in the habit and, and encourage you to pray throughout the day, um, even in short times. And, and when, you read, when you read the word, how do you do it? Well, a, a simple just thing to think about is look for application. What can I do with this? As you read a portion of scripture, um, what would the Lord have me do as I do this? And, and sometimes the application might just be, I'm meant to love God. For how good he is. I'm seeing here in this passage how great God is, and the application is I'm just supposed to stand in awe of how good he is. Um, well, we've, we've hit our time. If you've got any questions, I'd love to talk to you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the, the ability we have to pray to you, that you delight to hear your children. Lord, thank you for your word illustrated that you've given to us in the sacraments. Lord, help us to make use of the means that you've given to us to appreciate them, uh, to, to love them not for their own sake, but because 
uh, you have given us these to draw close to you. Lord, it's about you, and it's about uh, being in fellowship, in relationship with you. Uh, Lord, help us to love you, to praise you, to walk with you. Uh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Uh, We don't deserve any of this, sinners though we are. Uh, But Lord, uh, by your grace, uh, you have uh, rescued us from sin, forgiven us, and given us new life. And we thank you that uh, you will bring us, by your Holy Spirit, you'll bring us all the way home. Uh, Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.